Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're going we're gonna to talk about the, the story of redemption. So we have to start in Genesis, right, Hunter? Genesis means what? Beginnings. That's right. It means beginnings. Beginnings of what? Of everything. Beginning of creation, right? Beginning of mankind. Beginning of sin. Beginning of the nation of Israel. So we're going to camp out the next few weeks in, in the book of Genesis. But we're going to be putting a lot of verses up on the screen if it's going to work. If not, I'll just read them for you because this is a flyby, right? We're taking the, the, the story of redemptive history, and we're going to do it in five weeks to kind of help us give, a, give us a, a better understanding of the overall true story of the Bible. We can better understand what God has done for us and, and sending his son Jesus to die for us. Genesis chapter 1. When we look at Genesis chapter 1, what we're going to see is that God is God and there is no other. He deserves our worship. Look at what it says there in verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God. God existed before time began. It means He is eternal. He's always been and always will be. We talk about the eternality of God. He is eternally self-existent. He wasn't created. He always has been. It's hard for us to understand that. Isn't it? We have other, other texts to help us. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you were God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 10, when asked by Pharaoh to get rid of the plague of frogs, Moses says, it would happen so that you may know that there is no one like our God. The God that we worship is one of a kind. One of a He is unique. There is none like him. What happens if something's unique, if something's rare? What happens to that product? What happens to the value of that thing? For instance, it's Christmas time, right? What happens if you go to the store and this certain toy, Jim, is not on the the shelves? You want to buy something for Nathan, and it's not in the store, and you can't find it anywhere, and you're, you're looking everywhere, and you can't find it in the stores, well, then what do you do? Well, you go online, and you look at Amazon and eBay, and, and you find that object on Amazon or on eBay. But what happens to the price? It goes way up. Yeah. The rarer the object, the greater its value. That's simple economics, isn't it? God is a one-of-a-kind God. 
God is an everlasting God. God is an immortal God. And he deserves our worship. Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Why is that? Why is he to receive glory and honor and power? For you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. There's no one like God. There's no one like him. Because God created all things, and he made us in his image. And he created us to worship him. Let's read Genesis 1. Let's read a, a few, few verses here down about verse 10. The earth, verse, starting verse 2, the earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. Verse 6. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate from the waters the waters from the waters and God made the expanse and separated the waters that there were under the expanse from the waters that were that were above the expanse and it was so and God called the expanse heaven and there was evening and there was morning the second day and God said let the waters from under the heavens be gathered together into one place and let the dry land appear and it was so God called the dry land earth and the waters that were gathered together he called seas and God saw that it was Good. How did God create all things? Yeah, he spoke them into existence out of nothing, right? He spoke and it was made. Let's do something together. I want you to make something right now. Morgan, make it. I want you to make something for us, buddy. Can we make something out of nothing? That's something God does, right? There's a group of scientists, they, they were not God worshipers, and they told the Lord that they could make whatever he could make. They could do what he could do. And so God told them to make something. Okay, scientists make something. And they said, okay, we're going to use this mud to make, and God interrupted them. And what did God say? Yeah, that mud is mine. I made that. Make your own, right? Yeah, God spoke the word, created all that we see. Day one, he created the light. And day two, as we just read, he created the, the atmosphere, the sky. Day three, what did he create? land and plants. Day four, he created the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, he spoke, and the fish and the birds came to being. Day six, he spoke, and the land animals were created. Let's look at day six real quick. Verse 26 and 27. Then God said, let us make, he's already created the land animals, then he says, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock 
and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What does it mean that God made man in his own image? It means that we, as his created beings, are to bear forth his image to the world. It distinguishes us from all other creatures. We are born with the capacity to know God, to have a relationship with Him, to be intimate with Him. We have a will. We have emotion. We have a soul that will never cease to exist. Yeah, we're different. That's why He gave mankind dominion over all things. Why were we created? Because God was lonely? No, God doesn't have any needs. He's eternally self-sufficient. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 tells us, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through Him and for Him. John chapter 4 verse 23 But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For what? For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. Daniel, you're created with a purpose, and that's so you can worship God. Isaiah 43, 7. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for what? For my glory, whom I formed and made. Yeah, we're created to give Him glory, to worship Him, to make Him look good, to bear forth His image to the rest of the world. And how did God create man? He created him good, didn't He? In fact, at every day after He created something, He said it was good. And then when He created man, what did He say? It was very good. Yeah. And in in Genesis chapter 2, God provides for man everything he needs to live happily. God put the man and the woman, he created and put them in the Garden of Eden, heaven on earth. He gave them dominion over all things. They walked with God in the cool of the day. They had a relationship with him. They were intimate with him. It was paradise. And this is how it's supposed to be, heaven on earth. And what did God do? He told Adam and Eve, to eat from any tree in the garden. But there was one tree there not to touch, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they did, if they ate from that tree, Christian, God said that they would die. See, God can can give commands, can He? He can tell us what to do. He has that right, doesn't He? Yeah, because He's our Creator. Let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 through 7. At this point in history, Satan and his followers, they've rebelled against the Lord. They've been cast out of heaven. And what do they do? They came to the earth to deceive mankind. Let's read verse 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. God made man good, provided everything he needed, and then man rebelled against God. We call it the fall. And the fall of man occurred because Adam and Eve thought what they wanted for themselves was better than what God wanted for them. We keep talking about worship. God deserves to be worshiped because he's our creator and he He created us to worship him, right? Well, sin is the absence of worship. Sin is when we don't worship our creator. Verse 6 says, They saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes. What's that mean? It looked good. Yeah, Yeah, it looked good. And so Eve took it and then she gave it to Adam and he ate it as well. If you delve into that a little more deeply, you see, there's a sense where God was holding out. They thought God was holding out on them a little bit. And that's what the serpent, right, the, the, the enemy, our adversary, that's what he's doing. He's trying to deceive us, isn't he? Think about our our own lives. You read this story, Adam and Eve, thinking what they wanted for themselves was better than what God wanted for them. But think about our own lives when we, we try to get the last word in on an argument. Instead of remembering when words are many, sin is not absent, right? We are saying, what I want for me is better than what you want for me, God. When we tell a lie to cover up a mistake or a sin or to keep us out of trouble instead of owning up to it, right? We're saying, what I want for me is better than what you want for me. When we look at pornography or we we don't immediately take our lustful thoughts captive, we're saying this temporal two-minute pleasure is better for me than God what you want for me. When we get up in the morning and we know I need, to, I need to read the scriptures, I need to draw near to God because when I draw near to God, he draws near to me. I know that his word is a, a lamp and a light for my path. His law is wonderful, but we, we, we get up and we know we need to draw near to him. We know we need to study. We need to get in our prayer closet. But when we find dishes to do instead, or something else to do, we're saying, what I want for me, God, is, is better than what you want for me. When we do that, we fail to worship him and we, we sin. Eve ate the fruit, she gave it to Adam and he ate it. 
then they realized they were naked. And there's so many devastating effects from the fall. And we'll talk about them in detail next week. But some of the consequences of the first rebellion is they lost their innocence. All of a sudden, they realized they were naked. And they lost their innocence. If we read on in chapter 3, we'll see that there's fear there. Remember, God said, Adam, where are you? And what was Adam doing? He was afraid and he was hiding. Shame. They were ashamed. Blame shifting. Look at verse 11 through 13. God said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman you gave me, gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this you have done? Then what did the woman say? The serpent deceived me and I ate. There's blame shifting. And then you have the curses. Look at verse 14. The Lord said to the serpent, consequence of the effects of the fall is there's a curse that occurs. The curse on the serpent was, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. Look at verse 16. Eve, she was cursed. I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. That's the curse on the woman. What about the curse on man? Verse 17, and to Adam he said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust and to dust you shall return. That's that death part, right? Made from dust, and dust you return. God said, if you eat it, you'll surely die. Another effect of the fall was that Adam's descendants would have a sinful nature as well. We call it original sin. And what that means is when you and I were born, we're born sinners. And here, this is a narrative genre of Scripture. He's telling the story. Moses is under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But Paul delves deeper into that and gives us an exposition of that in Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Matter of fact, won't you turn there real quickly? If you can. Can you do that quickly? The kids can. They've been practicing their Bible drill. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Real quickly, and we'll turn back to, to Genesis 3. Come on, Miss Fran. Hurry up. <laughs> the, the, the students, when they come up and read the Scripture, they will, how long should I wait? I said, till you quit hearing that flip sound, right? Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, right, being Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to how many men? All men, because all sinned. Look at verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's original sin, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That's, that's the second Adam. That's the work Jesus did for us. Now turn back to Genesis chapter 3. So Adam and Eve, they fell in the garden. It's called the fall. 
Paradise was lost. Heaven on earth was no longer existed for Adam and Eve. They were forced out of the garden, never to be able to return and eat from the tree of life. So we have a creator who owns us, who has the right to give us commands, and he demands our worship. But you and I, we rebel because we're a descendant of Adam. We're sinners. We don't worship him as we should. Adam and Eve, they suffered the effects of the fall. We suffer the effects of the fall as well every day. And as miserable and difficult as life in this sin-filled world can be at times, there's hope. There's hope. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. We skipped over that. Let's go back to that. He's cursing the serpent. Genesis three fifteen. Speaking to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Like I said, next week we're going to look at the effects of sin and the fall. But it was devastating for Adam and Eve to have everything given to them, to be provided for, to have this intimate relationship with the Creator. They walked with Him in the cool of the day. There was no shame. There was no fear. They were innocent. All of a sudden, be taken away. Now they're living in a sin-filled world. But yet there's this hope, little whisper, but it's there. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. He being who? Jesus, right? Yeah. Jesus will bruise your head and you speaking to, we think it looks like it's talking to the descendants, but here it's speaking directly to the serpent and you shall bruise his heel. Why did Jesus have to become a man? We're, we're, we're about to celebrate Christmas. Jesus had to come and take on flesh. Why? Because he had to be the offspring of Eve to fulfill this promise. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, He, speaking of Jesus, himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. Yeah. That took place on the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, when he was resurrected, we see the defeat of the enemy. And then we know, scriptures tell us, in the end time when everything's made right, Satan will be cast into the abyss where he'll deceive no longer. What's the application for us today as we look at this flyby, if you will, over the first three chapters of Genesis? Application. First is, God is know that God is the creator of all things. 
He's our creator. He's my creator. He's your creator. And he deserves our worship. He deserves our worship. Moses, when the Israelites were wandering in the desert and they were rebelling and complaining, it's in the song of Moses, Deuteronomy 32, verse 6. He says, Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who made you and established you? We're foolish, aren't we, when we don't worship God as we should. You know, one day the Scriptures tell us that worshipers from every tongue, tribe, and ethnic group will will be at the feet of, of Jesus worshiping him, giving him praise and glory. So, application, do you worship the Lord? Do you worship him? Is that a part of your, Daniel, is that a part of your life? Like, yeah, I just, I'm a worshiper. Well, I'm a, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a born-again Christian. I go to church, but I don't know. Do I, do I worship the Lord? Yeah, we should worship him. Daily getting up. Spending time with, with the Lord. Giving him praise. Tell him how good he is. Do you do that? Is that a part of your life when you're driving down the road? Do you ever turn off the, the radio and just worship him? Do you ever just talk to him and tell him how good he is? Yeah, we should worship him. I think just simple application. We should worship God, our creator. He's worthy of it, and he demands it. Second thing is we need to know that all descendants of Adam are sinful. Sin is, Haley, we sin when we fail to worship him. See, the effects of sin make redemption necessary. That redemption, that's the promise we saw in Genesis 3.15. One day, one day, Jesus is going to crush Satan. There's hope. The effects of sin make redemption necessary. But the reality that God is our powerful creator makes redemption possible. So you have to have both. Miss Susan, you have to have both. God is this powerful creator. He makes redemption possible. And our sin, the effects of sin in our life, makes redemption necessary. And people, redemption is necessary. Have you confessed your sin to the Lord? Have you told the Lord, Lord, I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against you. I fought against you. I've done what I want to do. I'm the Lord of my life. Have you confessed that to the Lord? Has he brought godly sorrow over your sin? To where you just say, Lord, I'm a sinner, and I deserve your worst. I don't want to live that way anymore. I don't want to live for me. I want to repent. If you haven't done that, then application for you is to repent today. Turn from your life of living for yourself and trust Christ's work on the cross as your own. 
If you can't say, I'm a, I'm a worshiper of the Lord, and I've confessed my sin, you need to repent. If you have questions about that, I'd love to talk to you. You can call me anytime, day or night. Catch me after the service. I'd love to talk to you about that. And the third, third thing by way of application. And we said the Bible is all about Jesus. Where is he in this part of redemption history? Each week we're going to point that out in the next five weeks. Well, we know that Jesus is the creator of all things, and he's worthy of our worship. We read Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Worthy are, worthy are you, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. You know what? Colossians 1, verse 16 tells us, for by him, meaning Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So you say, well, where's Jesus on these pages? He was there. He spoke the world into existence. Light, the sky, land and vegetation, the sun, moon, and stars, the fish and the birds, all the land animals, and then mankind. Jesus is our creator. And secondly, Jesus is the serpent crusher. Again, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Through death, he might, it says, he might destroy the one who has power of death, that is, the devil. So there you see it. Jesus is the creator, but also he's the promised one who's going to come and defeat the enemy. This is a flyby. I have a book. It's the Bible at 30,000 feet. And it takes each book of the Bible and it kind of gives an overview. And that's what we're doing the next five weeks, give an overview. We see that God created all things. And he created man good. But man rebelled against the Lord. And now there's this curse. But even though we live in this sin-filled world, suffering the effects of the curse, there's hope. Yeah, there's hope for me and there's hope for you, and the hope is in Jesus. We'll finish talking about the effects of sin next week. We'll continue our story. Hope you've been blessed. Our prayer is that over the next five weeks, you'll come to understand the story more fully. You'll be able to worship him more sincerely. You'll love him more deeply. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.